God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this group of uh, believers that uh, you've given me a, a church family that we can share uh, hope and love and joy and peace with uh, during this time. And, uh, God, I praise we open your word. You'd speak to us and uh, just be with us tonight. Change us, make us more like you. In your name I pray. Amen. So if you will turn with me uh, to Isaiah, we'll be in chapter 9, verses 2 uh, through 7 this evening. So if you will uh, if you'll read with me, I'll give you a moment to get there. We're walking through Isaiah, and again, Isaiah is a prophet, and so these are prophecies being foretold of Christ who was to come. And so this was at a time where Israel had been conquered and then freed and conquered and freed and conquered and freed and kind of in this cycle and and really looking for a way to this for this to end and Isaiah is prophesying of of Christ to come and so uh, he says this uh, chapter 9 verse 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them a light has shone you have multiplied the nations you have increased its joy They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, uh, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. So Isaiah is saying there that, that a time is going to come where, where this burden and this rod of the oppressor is going to be broken, where these, uh, these boots and these garments that were worn in battle that are soaked in blood are going to be burned because they won't be needed anymore because a child is going to be born who will be wonderful, counselor, the mighty guy. Like, and this, this joy will be brought about by his coming. And that's really the reason for Christmas, the reason for that celebration is celebrating his arrival, celebrating the birth of that child and and us looking forward to the day when he will come back again and establish his kingdom and the brokenness of the world and the sin of the world will be no more and we will be at peace with God. And so that, that's the joy that, that we really want to find and the joy that we're going to talk about. And I have a lot of thoughts that I'm going to really try to get to um, in a timely manner. Um, but I really want to talk about joy. And, and to do that, unfortunately, we kind of have to unravel some things. Like, like Tim talked about with hope, we've kind of confused hope with wish, right? And, and we've made those words kind of become close and interchangeable where where we say, well, I hope, like, I hope the weather's nice at Christmas. 
when that's not what we're putting hope in. We're not putting our reliance in that. We're not putting our dependence in that. We're not putting our faith in that. That's just a wish that kind of gets put out there. And so we, we kind of lost that meaning. And, and Tim did a great job of walking us through what hope is. And last week he described love and how we've sort of lost the meaning of, of love in that we say, I love chips or, you know, we, you know, we throw all this stuff out there that we, that we quote unquote love, but we wouldn't sacrifice ourselves for it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't lay down our life for it. And so it's not, it's not really love. It's something that we like or that we prefer and, and so on and so forth. Well, joy is much the same way because we confuse joy and happiness, right? And we put those together. So I, I want to tell you how hope, how joy and happiness are different. But um, I, I need to start by telling you that happiness isn't bad. It's not bad to be happy. It's okay for you to be happy. And a lot of times in church, we can feel like maybe it's not okay for me to be happy. Like if, if God blesses you with something, like we try to, you know, we try to couch it, right? We're like, well, I got it on sale or it's not that big a deal or somebody gave it to me. You know, we try to like, we try to apologize for blessings that come about and it's okay for God to bless you. It's okay for you to enjoy the things of life that enjoy the stuff that God has given you. Where you go wrong is when that happiness that those things bring becomes your focus. Right. And it's where you like you say, OK, I'm, I'm going to pursue these things above other things and I'm going to focus on them and I'm going to overindulge in them. And then that happiness can can turn on you, that happiness that that it brings. Um, and it's important for us to see the difference between joy and happiness, but for you to know up front that it's OK for you to be happy, that it's all right. Like it's OK to celebrate good times and good things like it's all right to be happy. So when I talk about the difference, understand that happiness is okay. Um, but we need to be joyful and we need to have joy. And I, I heard this and I really believe it. Satan fears nothing more than a Christian filled with joy. Amen. Satan fears nothing more than a Christian filled with joy. Because if your life is filled with joy, true joy then that is going to show out and people are going to ask about that. People are going to want to know what is different about you. Why do you have a joy that regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your happiness, whether it can come and go, but your joy remains the same, is something that is unusual and that people will want to know about. And that's the kind of joy that Christ came to bring us. So we have replaced joy... Uh, with this idea of happiness. And if happiness becomes our goal, then happiness can lead us astray. C.S. Lewis in uh, the Screwtape Letters, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, but uh, it's a really interesting idea that uh, C.S. Lewis had. It's basically correspondence between a demon and Satan, like strategizing about how to trip up this Christian person. And so he's assigned him, and, and they're corresponding back and forth. And uh, I want to read a quote. And so this is, this is Satan basically telling Screwtape how to overcome this Christian. Here's what he says. Never forget that when we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's or God's ground. He, God, made the pleasure. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. 
All we can do is to encourage the human to take pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees in which God has forbidden. So basically he's saying what happens is something that that you take pleasure in that makes you happy that God has given you that you take in the wrong amount at the wrong time with the wrong people will end up turning that happiness over and becoming a downfall. Mm -hmm. If you think about if you think about alcohol or sex or any number of things, food that are not in and of themselves bad things, but when taken at the wrong time, at the wrong place, in the wrong quantity, with the wrong people, become destructive. And so how do we, how do we tell happiness from joy apart? How do we separate these? Um, Alistair Begg shared an illustration that I think does a really great job, and uh, I want to share it with you, but not, I don't want to steal it from him, so I'm going to give him credit. Uh, but he says, think of it like this. Think of happiness as a Christmas tree that you're hanging ornaments on. Now that, now there's nothing wrong with Christmas trees. I'm not railing against Christmas trees. Don't put up a Festivus pole in your living room, but Christmas <laughs> trees are fine. But his, his meaning behind, and then joy is fruit on a tree. And if you think about like ornaments, that's what they originally represented. People would hang like fruit from a tree and then later on like ornaments came about and that like that's how they would be there but there's this Christmas tree and you hang in you hang these ornaments on it and they're really pretty and they make you happy for a little while but if you left that there over a period of time that tree if it's not rooted in anything is going to dry out and die and like all the needles will fall off of it and it will increasingly become sadder and sadder over time. Whereas joy is the fruit on a tree that replenishes itself and provides for your family and you can come back to over and over again. It's this constant, it's this constant thing because it's real and because it's substantial. And so that like, that's how, as we talk, I want you to think about like, a tree that's dead and not rooted in anything with ornaments hung on it trying to make you happy of ornaments of things or money or experiences or people or this or that. And we try to hang these ornaments on our life to convince ourselves that we're okay. And a lot of times we do it on social media, right? We put up an ornament, hang up an ornament. Look how happy I am. Look how great my life is. I'm going to hang another ornament here and hang another ornament here. And we want, like, we want to leave things for our family. And so we, we sacrifice time with them. We sacrifice our beliefs. We sacrifice our focus so that we can get nicer, bigger, nicer ornaments and have a bigger, nicer tree and, and have all this stuff. And, and ornaments that they'll be so precious that we can pass these ornaments down to our kids. But really, we're just hanging stuff on a tree that has no roots that eventually is going to die and fade and go away and just become sad. Whereas joy is a fruit of the spirit. Um, happiness can be taken away. In John uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 33, Jesus says, uh, I've come to bring you peace in this world. You will have pain. You will have turmoil but I have come to overcome the world. 
So in this world, like happiness will come and go, like you'll be happy for a time and then something will happen and you won't be happy anymore. I, I pray that, that those things aren't like devastating and, and sweeping on you. I, I pray that most of your life is happy, but the reality is you will go through hard times. Difficult times are coming. If, uh, if you were here in the, in the very beginning, the very first book that we walked through as a church was James. And James starts his letter this way. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's saying trials are going to come, hard times are going to come, tests are going to come, and there will be periods of your life where you won't be happy because of the circumstance that you're in, but you can have joy because you have a Savior who overcomes that circumstance. And that's where real joy comes, is when you understand that your reality and who you are is not tied to the place that you're in. You see, God didn't come to improve your circumstance. He came to change you. He didn't come to change your reality. He came to change who you are. He came to change you in such a way that your sin could be forgiven, that you can be reconciled to God, and that you could have the joy of knowing that my circumstances don't control my fate. That where I am today doesn't doesn't cling me to something forever. That where I hope to get to tomorrow won't determine my forever. That it all rests completely in Christ. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me will bear much fruit. And Galatians chapter 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's the other thing I want you to know about joy. Joy isn't an option. If you're a Christian, you are called to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If you're a Christian, you're called to be joyful. A lot of times we treat it as an option. As something of like, well, it would be nice to have. Or like, oh, that person has joy. That's for them. I'm different. But you're called to be filled with this joy. And, uh, and how do you do it? How do you, how do you hang on to that? Um, joy is not an emotional response to our circumstances, but a realization that we've been saved from them. Uh, I'm going to share a story now about me, uh, my story, and some of you know it, some of you don't, and it's an emotional story. I hope that I can get through it. Um, It'll probably be emotionally for you, but I don't tell it for it to be emotional. I don't tell it for you to like have this emotional response, but I tell it because it's the best way that I know how to illustrate joy in my life. Um, a couple of years ago on, uh, in May, we went to the delivery room uh, to have a baby. And pregnancy had been great, everything was fine, and we had, like, we had a little baby girl named Hollis. And things are great. First couple nights in the hospital, everything's good. And we're, we're literally packing the car to go home. I have bags in the car. Um, Hillary's doctor had come by and like, cleared her. She's good to go. And we need one more check. We're going to check the baby one more time, and then you guys will go home. And they came in. They ran the test, and they said, well, 
Her fevers, her temperature is just a little bit low and she's not really reading right on this one test. So we're just gonna take her to the nursery for a few minutes, kind of warm her up in one of those beds and then we'll run the test again and you guys will be going home. And rather than bringing her back into a room, a doctor came in the room and said there's a problem. And we've had to take her to the NICU. And so a couple days of tests, that was on Wednesday, a couple days of tests and an overnight trip to Children's Hospital. We wind up Friday evening in a, in a room with a bunch of doctors. And they're explaining to us that she has a condition um, referred to as NK, NKH. And it's a very rare genetic thing, but both, uh, both Hillary and I carry a recessive gene that makes it a very likely thing for us. And basically proteins will build up on her brain and there, there's nothing that we can do. And they said, you're gonna have to make a decision sometime soon as to when to take her off of the machines. And I remember, I remember as the tests were coming in and stuff was happening, talking to someone and saying, you know, if, if the worst should happen, I don't know how we come back from this. I don't know what we do. And now the worst is happening and it's facing me. And so we decided that that next day, that that Saturday evening, we would take her off of the machines. And um, we did that. And uh, so she had been what, uh, what they call riding the respirator. Right, as you're when you're in that position, you learn what all the like the little numbers on the screen and the monitors. You understand what's going on there, and and her breathing was at a level where I could see that the machine was doing most of the work for a lot of the time. And so, I thought, and, and another doctor we had talked to had thought that she would probably pass fairly quickly after we took her off the machines. And we took her off the machines about nine o'clock, and. We stayed up with her that night, and we're in, we're in our room, and we were in a room to ourselves, and we're at Children's Hospital, and we're looking out, and, and a storm was kind of rolling through. I can remember very distinctly, it's night, and there's thunder and lightning and all this stuff going on. And at one point, Hillary said, I like, what do we do? We're really tired, and... and she was hanging on, but she was fading like slowly and slowly and slowly. And Hillary said, I don't know what we do. And I said, I think that you need to tell her it's okay for her to go. And I've never been lower in my life. I've never been more broken than I was right there. And that time that came that I had told someone days earlier, I don't know how we come back from. It was there. But God, who loved me enough to send his son to be my savior, to be the counselor, to be a mighty God, fixed me. And not all the way, like I'm not there yet but he put a family of believers around me to walk me through. And when you get pushed to that point 
where you are beyond your depth and you say, there is nothing that I can do. I can't come back from this. God says, finally, I bring you glad tidings of great joy for unto you was born this day in the city of David, a savior, a savior to save you from the brokenness of the world, a savior to save you from all the things that you're fighting, a savior to help you. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Joy comes when you don't have to do it anymore. When it doesn't have to come from you, it's not something that you can will yourself to, or that you can pull up your... Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make happen. Love comes when you finally let go and you go, God, this has to be you. You have to fix it. I can't. And there will be no greater joy than that total reliance on God. That's the joy that I want you to experience. That's the joy that I want you to have this Christmas is Total reliance on God and the joy of knowing that I don't have to do it. No. I don't have to be. I don't have to be the best version of myself. I don't have to be some awesome Christian. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to do all this stuff. I can rest completely in God, and that's the most joyful you will ever feel. Amen. Amen. That's my prayer for you. Uh, we're going to worship a little more, and then we'll go. Uh, I really, I really appreciate getting to share and getting to be a part of this family of believers. Um, you guys are amazing, and I, I really relish these times. So let's pray, and then we'll worship. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for a joy that can't be known with a life apart from you. God, I pray that the people around us would see that joy in us. They would see that we have something that they don't. And God, I pray that we would share that with them. Mm -hmm. God, I pray that interactions that we have around Christmas, that they would be filled with remembrances and thoughts of the joy that you bring and the peace that you bring and that our hope would be found in you and that our love would be found in you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.